You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today I have a treat for you. We're going to talk all about chargebacks and risk and how to prevent uh, all these things that you guys hate paying for uh, with your payment processors. And I have the world's expert uh, or one of the biggest experts in chargeback management, David Pertle from Chargebacks 911. So welcome, David. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for being with us. So, David, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you've done, your career path, and what has made you uh, a chargeback expert? Yeah, of course. So I started my journey of the chargeback world about seven years ago. Um, met Monica Eaton Cardone, who founded our company, and she had a goal in the industry to uh, basically be all into help chargeback management and prevention. So the journey has been quite interesting, but, but yeah, I started, I actually started out in the company, um, not in the payments industry. I was in medical data transfer, which kind of is a little bit like payments. It's very regulated. There's a lot of roles and policies. So there's a lot of familiarity to me, but when I learned about chargebacks and uh, getting into the space, uh, it kind of blew my mind. Um, I was brought up in a very small town with morals. So, so when I when I met Monica and then got into the subject of chargebacks, it was just a, a mind blower for me. But been with the company seven years, started out in data analytics, moved to client relations, and now I'm in the biz dev type uh, role working with enterprise level merchants. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's like somebody for myself as well, before I got into the space, it was like chargebacks, whatever. Somebody is not happy. Sometimes it happens. But, you know, when you get into this space, there's like a million companies and all these people that are offering services for chargeback prevention, uh, you know, fighting chargebacks back, um, you know, different tools, alerts and so forth. It's just such a huge business dealing just with chargebacks. Like it, 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 it really amazes you when you get in the industry. And I think even merchants who, you know, just kind of start their offers thinking it's no big deal. It really does become a big deal pretty quickly. Cause you realize how just a couple of chargebacks can literally like cut your business at the knees and cause you all these problems. And like, it's, it's usually not something merchants think about until it happens. So right. hopefully everybody listening, you know, take, uh, we're going to talk where David's going to give us a bit of advice. You know, David, you're going to tell us a little bit about how to prevent things and how to, you know, take proper steps afterwards. But, um, this is really important advice for anybody selling anything online. Uh, but especially if you're in something called a high risk industry, which, uh, funny enough, I was just reading, you know, stripes, terms and conditions, and pretty much 98% of online businesses are now considered high risk. So, yeah. so pretty much everybody. So anyway, without further ado, thanks, David, again, for, for that nice intro. And I'm happy that we have you on the show and, and you're going to help us clarify all this stuff. But just for, you know, everybody kind of listening, um, why do chargebacks happen? Just very simple question. In your opinion, why do chargebacks happen? Uh, basically, it boils down to three areas. We we put chargebacks into buckets, uh, one being criminal intent. So true first party fraud, stolen identity, stolen credit card details that the merchant has accepted, and then it results in a chargeback. 
Second bucket would be uh, the mid-range bucket makes up for about 40% or up to 40% of chargebacks would be merchant error. So these are things like descriptors that don't make sense that are confusing mer uh, or consumers. Um, they don't know who they bought from. It could be a stringent refund policy. It could be um, anything that a merchant would do activity-wise to influence that consumer to contact their, their bank rather than contacting the merchant for resolution. So that, that's considered merchant error. It sounds kind of harsh, but it's really just anything that you can uncover that the merchant's doing to influence chargebacks. And then the third and largest uh, bucket of chargebacks that we see is what we consider friendly fraud. And friendly fraud is a term that's been kicked around for, I don't know, forever, but really it just means that the initial transaction was the consumer that made the purchase. This is a legitimate char a charge, is a legitimate transaction. They meant to do this, but for whatever reason, they went to their bank for resolution or a refund. So that would be the largest bucket that we see, but those are the three main contributors to chargebacks. Yeah. And there, there's definitely nothing friendly about friendly fraud. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> and, you know, lately I find, and just in the last couple of years, it has been increasing, you know, obviously we see the numbers uh, at direct payment. We see, you know, that friendly fraud is increasing. A lot of customers are, are just, you know, either cash strapped at the, after their holiday shopping and realize, you know, I didn't really need this. So let me just try to get my charge my money back and so forth. But um, you know, friendly fraud is basically customers who, like you said, they bought it, but they had some kind of reverse reaction. They go to their bank. So, um, I mean, it's, you know, all, all more important to be very, very clear with your customers. But the one thing that I want you to clarify, because I get this question all the time from merchants, and I'm going to refer back to this episode every time they ask me this, but, um, you know, a lot of merchants strive for 0% chargebacks. Do you think that's ever possible in most, you know, kind of high risk businesses? Well, I will give you a little bit of a secret sauce. I know how to prevent 100% of chargebacks. 100%. Right? Oh, wow. That's 100 a good teaser. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Don't sell products that accept credit cards as payments. <laughs> Not the best answer, right? But I think it's unrealistic to think that you're going to accept credit cards and then get to a 0% uh, transaction related to, to chargebacks. You're, you're always going to have disputes. The, the balance here is looking at what chargebacks result from criminal intent. And if you have a lot or quite a bit of that activity, say over 1% or up to 10%, then you really need to be working with a front-end fraud filter type of a solution that's going to look at that transaction in real time, monitor it for risk, and then uh, basically make a decision on to accept it or decline it. In the high-risk industry or e-com space, you're really not going to be looking at a lot of criminal intent activity. It's more on the friendly fried or mer merchant error side of things. But um, so once you get that type of activity buttoned up and you're not getting that true criminal intent fraud, you're not accepting stolen credit card details, then really you're just going to be left with that friendly fraud aspect or merchant error, legitimate transactions. And that's where you want to be. Um, you're still going to get chargebacks. Like it, it's just going to be a reality. But the good news is, after the transaction settles, you do have um, available options to prevent chargebacks and also recover those funds. So it's kind of looking at a risk versus reward activity. You wanna stop the bad stuff up front that you can't recover on the back end. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's the fraud prevention things, you know, that you can do and there's like softwares and so forth. There's also something that people forget. And a lot of merchants forget. There's some basic tools in your gateway that are literally Mm -hmm. just, you just kind of go in there and like maximum number of transactions per card is, is, you know, a super simple one uh, or per bin number bin is the first six digits, you know, of your, of your credit card. So a lot of times when there are stolen cards, you know, we see like actually in July, there was a big kind of hit. Um, a lot of merchants were affected by this. They It was the same bin. So it was the first six digits. So had you just activated a couple a little things in your gateway uh, and find out what's available in your gateway, then, you know, that'll prevent a lot of that you know, nasty fraud that you mentioned, you know, the ones, the criminal fraud. Um, But, you know, so that happens, but it's not obviously the the major issue, Um, you know, merchant errors. I mean, those are going to happen. You know, the, the, the one thing that I tell merchants a lot is, you know, you got to get your funnel tested, not from yourself not from anybody internal, get your like cousin, his friend and people from all different kind of walks of life, maybe five or 10 different people that live in different parts of the country and tell them to test it, ship out the product. And they'll tell you, those are the best testing right. people that you yeah. testing your own funnel, not going to happen. You're, you've built it. You've looked at it, you know, where not to click, you know, what not to do. So that's, you know, definitely uh, something, but what are some other tips that you would say um, will help, you know, reduce that kind of merchant error? Like, what do you tell merchants, you know, to avoid that? Um, you know, we, we look at merchant error. So obviously we have a service that provides dispute resolution and, and response on behalf of the merchant. We can take over this activity. So one thing that we do that is not going to be so easy for a merchant to handle would be we do benchmarking. So we handle obviously millions of chargebacks. So as we see that chargeback data come in, it should look like a certain, you know, percentage in certain areas for a merchant looking at this data it's going to look normal to them every month unless they have something to compare it to. So what we do is we compare it. We immediately know, Hey, you're 20% higher in this vertical or or this uh, certain reason code or percentage. And then that stems us to look at certain areas. But if a merchant is just looking at their transactions and figuring out, okay, how can I prevent some of these? Your advice was spot on, like go through the transaction, go through the steps of getting the product, see how long it takes to ship, see what your communication efforts look like. And then also don't just do that, but go through a refund process. I mean, do a refund audit, like look at the descriptors. Do your descriptors make sense? Are you going to know that this product um, was ordered from you? Are you going to know the refund options that you have? And then how would you get a refund as part of this? Because at the end of the day, this merchant is competing with a bank. So, you know, Wells Fargo, for an example, I don't want to point them out, but any bank that's handling incoming disputes, they have to make this extremely easy for their for their cardholders, because there are so many disputes today that two thirds of the cost of a dispute is just in the management fee. So the issuer has a cost, the acquirer has a cost, the processor has a cost, the merchant has a cost, the consumer has no cost. So basically they have no consequence to dispute this charge. And usually that is a way faster and easier method to get a refund to go to their bank rather than go to the merchant. So what you want to do is you want to make excess uh, easy to refunds if they want it. So, you know, 24 hour customer service, you want email customer service, you want chat customer service, you want just any customer service to get that refund request process fast as possible. And you want to make sure your customers know that so that they don't think, okay, I'm either going to call the merchant, sit on hold or whatever, 
or I'm going to call my bank or click this button. So they're in competition with a bank and you need to make the process extremely efficient to get in touch with your company. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting is, is also, you know, um, the, on the descriptor, cause you mentioned the descriptor a lot of times. So just to clarify the descriptor is really what your customers see on their credit card statement, you know, and I usually advise to put a phone number there. If you're an online business, do you think that's a good practice or is there anything, any advice you would give on the descriptor specifically? Like, should you put your website? Should you put your company name? Like what are your, your best practices for descriptors? Best practices for descriptors is, yes, of course, a phone number and then a website. So a lot of default um, descriptors will have your state in there. So you definitely don't want to include that if you're an e-com company, because like I'm in Florida, so I do my purchases here. And if I made an online purchase or just really any, and I'm scrolling through my payments um, or my transactions on my statement, and I see like California... I know that I haven't been to California this month. So that's going to be a red flag to me. And then it's going to cause me to pay more attention to that transaction, probably do research, maybe dispute it uh, because I know I'm not in California because I think it's not me. So your descriptor needs to make sense for your type of product. And in most cases with high risk e-com, it should be a website uh, and a customer service number, Um, mainly a customer service number because, you know, they want to be able to contact you probably for a refund if it's the high risk sector. So um, yeah, if you can fit both, fit both. But if you can fit one, <clears throat> I would say a customer service number. Yeah. And I I mean, the thing that I like the most about what you said is, you know, don't make it too difficult for customers to refund because I there is a, a general pushback I find for a lot of merchants are like, well, if I put a phone number there and or a click to cancel or whatever, um, you know, I'm going to get all these refunds. Yeah. But if not, you're going to get chargebacks. I mean, like, you know, my bank now, like next to some transactions, it'll say, did you make this? And you can just literally just click from your online banking and say, nope, didn't do this. And you can dispute it straight from the banking portal. So, you know, it's, you're not doing yourself any favors uh, by making it difficult. It's just going to end up costing you their refund plus like an extra 25, 30, whatever oh, yeah. you charged on a chargeback plus a dispute fee plus this, you know? So, I yeah. mean, in the end you're, you're losing, right? Like even if you get like a couple of percent more refunds, it'll still be cheaper than getting a couple of percent more chargebacks, right? Just yeah. because of the all the fees. So, um, and that's the thing. I mean, really think about why they're contacting you in the high risk industry. They're not contacting you to tell you how good their product is or your product is. They're not contacting you to say, Oh, I just wanted to tell you that it's great. And I'm loving it. No consumers only do things out of like emotion. So they want a refund. They're not happy. They're whatever. They feel like they didn't get the product or maybe they feel like it's a scam. Maybe they read your reviews online and thought, oh man, this was a bad purchase. Like that effort is only going to be put in when people are not happy. So they're calling you primarily to cancel and get a refund. So just make that easy. Oh, well, there you go. We we could summarize that episode with that sentence. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, David. That's great. No, I mean, I agree. It's like, it, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, we used to make it very difficult, even in the adult space. You know, I used to work in the adult space and we used to make it quite difficult for people to cancel uh, because, you know, chargebacks weren't a thing. Like people didn't understand the chargebacks and as well and so forth. But, uh, you know, as things have progressed and banking has progressed, and like you said, banks are just trying to be very very customer service oriented. They just make it too easy. 
So, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So, uh, but another very interesting point that you mentioned is like cleaning up your um, reputation online. So a lot of the high risk industries, like you said, you know, sometimes somebody Googles something and they see all these negative reviews and all this negative stuff that could really have an impact on your chargebacks because then it makes people unconfident in your product. Right. So that's, that's a really, really good point, guys. Like you have to make sure that you respond to your BBBs and all the complaints Mm -hmm. boards and all that you know, it's, it's a lot of it's crap, pardon me, but you know, it shows up on the first page of Google. So that's, you know, that's, that's the important thing. So, I mean, that I want to dig in a little bit more into those, you know, pro a little bit, let's say post-transaction measures. I mean, you mentioned order insights, you know, we are very familiar and a lot of people are familiar with ethic alerts, um, you know, and, and uh, CDRN or verify, they changed their names a couple of times. Um, there's just, there's a slew of different types of alerts, um, which can get confusing. So can you tell us just like a couple of words on each and maybe what you would suggest? Cause obviously if you start getting all of them, it can get expensive. They can piggyback off each other. So Tell us a little bit about all the different types of alerts and and what they're meant to do. So yeah, you have you have two two types of alerts basically one for high risk and one for low risk. Um, when going into a situation where you're getting chargebacks and you need to lower them, so you're breaching thresholds, you're in trouble with you know maybe the card schemes you're on monitoring programs or your processor, you're over your percentage that is considered a risky situation, right? So that's what we find most of these reoccurring uh, payments uh, will result in. They're, they're having a hard time not reaching set thresholds with a processor or card schemes. In that situation, traditional alerts is what I call them, Ethica um, and CDRM through Verify, uh, and maybe RDR, Rapid Dispute Resolution through Visa. Those are types of situations that you can give a refund to prevent the chargeback. So traditional alerts in a snapshot or a nutshell, it's just a direct relationship with the issuer saying, hey, we have merchants that would give a refund if you just let us know that you're about to file a chargeback. So in that case, they send us a notification directly from the issuer who are part of these programs, and then we give a refund, it prevents the chargeback. So that's how that works. Uh, That's traditional. Those have been around for a long time. And a lot of people in the high-risk sector need to use those to get a smaller percentage in chargebacks. So those are built for people that are breaching thresholds. For a consumer that's, or for a client that's coming to me in a low risk sector, maybe like a retailer, they're at you know, 25 basis points. Their, their chargebacks are really not a problem from a risk perspective, but they are a problem from a revenue loss perspective. They would never use the alert program and give a refund to prevent that chargeback just because it's, it's not hurting them from a risk perspective. And then on the flip side of that, with order insights and consumer clarity, those don't require a refund. That's that real trans, uh, transaction of information uh, within one second to provide it back to the issuer to make a better decision. So those are available for the high-risk industry and also the low-risk industry because they prevent the chargeback. So you get a lower percentage. That's good for everyone. Uh, they also retain the transaction amount. So that's great. You're not losing that transaction value. And also they prevent that transaction penalty fee uh, that you would get with a chargeback. So it is a great solution for everyone, whether you're high risk or not. And since Visa has bought Verify and since MasterCard has bought Ethica, these do have overlap 
But if you have one single provider like us who provides everything, you're going to find that we can we can work with the the providers to minimize that overlap uh, and and wasteful effort on all of these types of alerts. Yeah. So I mean, traditionally, Ethica was for Mastercard or or actually for fraud reason alerts, I should say, right? It was for fraud reason alerts, whereas CDRN Verify was for non fraud reason alerts. But you know we've offered these products and so forth. And a lot of merchants come back and say, Hey, you know, I, I got one and I got one, I started reconciling. I'm getting like 20% on both. So I'm paying for all these alerts and so forth. So, and then um, you mentioned RDR as well. So, you know, would you say if somebody's in a, a high risk kind of chargeback situation of losing their merchant accounts, would you get all three? Like all, I, all if you're at high risk, you have no choice. So that is the horrible thing about all of this is as a merchant, you take all the responsibility for these transactions. So if you're breaching thresholds and you need to get them down, I would suggest having all of the of the alert platforms so that you could see um, what's going to work best for you. So if you get in coverage is is vary between merchant as well. So it all depends on traditional alerts. It depends on what issuers that you're accepting transactions from and if those issuers are involved in the alert network, right? With Order Insight Consumer Clarity and RDR, really that's a, it's a brand wide, a card brand wide solution. So every issuer in those uh, portfolios have access to request a refund through RDR or request additional information from Order Insights and Consumer Clarity. So what I suggest for anyone breaching because we can we can work with these levels, right? So I suggest turning them all on, seeing what coverage you're going to get, seeing what works best, and maybe that Order Insights is taking care of the majority of them, and you only have to use one level of alerts, or maybe none, or maybe we can get that organic reduction. So really, if you're breaching, the most important thing is to get below that percentage. Yeah. Once you've done that, you can start looking at, okay, what levels are working for me and what levels I can turn off. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, and even like, like you mentioned, you know, order insights is something that I recommend for a lot of our merchants. Uh, But now you mentioned order clarity. So again, we have all these tools and it it starts getting a little bit confusing and obviously we're getting a lot of alerts. So there's costs associated to these alerts and so forth. So, I mean, I like the approach of, would you say, you know, to give a good amount of time, would you say keeping everything on for 60 days is enough time for you guys to kind of gather data to be able to make better decisions? Or would you say maybe, you know, uh, order insights and order clarity first, and then the other ones, like, how would you, you know, if you're a merchant right now, like I'm coming to you as, you know, maybe let's say I'm doing hundred K per month, I'm not over my chargebacks, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm zero points. 0.8, for example, which, you know, a bad month can trigger me over that 1%, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is, you know, for, for the people that we work with mainly and, and, and our audience direct response, that's where they're at. They're not, you know, um, below 0.5%, which is tough for people in direct response. They're in the 0.5 to a little bit over 1%. Um, mm-hmm. What would you do if you're not like at the point of closure, but you're, you know, you could be with a bad month. Would you, would you go with all five for 90 days or 60, 90 days, or would you do just the insights? I I'm always confused about this. So I'm asking, uh, you know, unapolog- unapologetically for our customers that always ask me that question. I'm like, I don't know, there's too many and there's a lot of costs. So we, you know, usually, you know, uh, we refer back to you. So I'm just curious, what, what would you kind of recommend as a, somebody who's coming to you with, with these types of numbers? Um, I would say your merchant account is priceless. Like 
if you can't, if you can't process, you don't have a business. So I don't think people should play around with that percentage or coverage. So I would always suggest turning all of them on. And here's the reason. One, traditional alerts, we need, we need your descriptors. We load them into the alert networks. We have something that we can start getting some prevention in just a few days. So it's a very fast process. It's also a very fast process to turn them off. So um, with Order Insights, RDR, and Consumer Clarity, there is a, a period that we have to register your accounts. We have to go through an API build out on our side to handle these incoming inquiries and getting that information back. There's a process that's involved. We also have to wait on the card schemes to batch that information out. Your accounts are registered with programs and that could take about three weeks. It could take a month. So realistically, you need to apply something fast if you're if you're in that area of breaching. And then while you're waiting on the consumer clarity and the uh, RDR and order insights to get set up, you can start getting that prevention. And then I would say probably let it run for another 30 days. So I would suggest 60 days is going to give you a really good um, average of what you're going to expect from these programs. Because again, you don't really know, and we don't really know, if traditional alerts is going to give you enough coverage because every single merchant that onboards for these programs get a different result. And that's just because of those issuers that are involved um, and, and who you sell to and what your consumers are using as far as a card type goes. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and like you said, that the important thing, you know, for people listening to, to, to remember is, you know, if you have a U.S. business selling man, mainly to Americans and so forth, that that's going to give you a lot more coverage. But if you're in the States, for example, selling to Europeans or to Asians or whatever, your coverage is not going to be as high. Uh, it still will help, but it, it really all depends on your unique situation. Are you getting a lot of like credit union people buying that, that have cards from, from credit unions, which have less coverage than, you know, your big JP Morgans and all that stuff. So um, there's a lot of different situations. So I did like what you said about, you know, turn it all on. Um, you know, some stuff is instantaneous, some take a little bit longer, but, you know, with the right amount of data after like two months, you can turn it off. That's right. it. You know, you know, so that's, that's, uh, you know, you can't, you can't take guesses. And, and um, like I said, I'm going to refer our clients back to, to this conversation. Cause it's always that, that question of like, how long it's expensive. What should I do? I'm like, yep. you know, per perfect, uh, perfect response. David is like, it's more expensive to lose your merchant account than to spend a little bit of money gathering a little bit of data and then making the right decision. Once you decide, once you see what's, you know, what's working and what's not. So uh, that's, the, that's interesting uh, and important to remember in terms of, you know, uh, once the chargeback occurs, just, you know, you, we have the chargeback, it didn't go through the, the alerts or whatever. Um, there is ways to dispute chargebacks and ways to at least try to get, you know, capture back the money that you lost from that customer. Uh, do you think that's still valid to do something like that? Like this, you know, kind of, I guess I would, what would you call it? Like dispute a dispute or yeah. <laughs> respond. respond. It's, it's actually called a representment. Yes. So representment yeah, is the actual term for a response to a credit card dispute. And I know that chargeback is not really a term anymore. It's, it's a dispute. So the everything's changing terminology wise, but a chargeback is a chargeback, right? So yeah. um, once you get it, it, you should absolutely handle your chargebacks, especially if you're getting a lot of chargebacks. Like if a client comes to me and they're getting 50,000 chargebacks per month and they're not disputing their chargebacks, I just hound them to do so. I, I'm like, I don't care if you do it through us. I don't care if you do it through an internal team. It's so important to respond to these chargebacks 
especially because the majority of them are related to an unauthorized or a fraud reason code that you have a reputation that you build with issuers. So there are only a few issuers, especially US side, that write like the majority of the chargebacks. So their teams are familiar. They have descriptor scoring. They have MCC codes, you know, make a decision on filing chargebacks. And also going back to the cost of chargebacks, there is a cost involved in this. And if it's only going to cost them, I think it's an average of $6.40 to file a chargeback on a $90 charge, for an example, and you don't dispute that, they're going to do that every single time. If you dispute it, that costs them more money. And if they're filing these majority for friendly fraud, shouldn't be really a chargeback to begin with, then you respond back to it. Guess what? Their fees go up. It's like $45 is what it costs them to review that Um that representment. If you reverse it, that cost goes up even more. And then that's like 65 to 75 USD. So if you think about that and you're responding to the majority of these things and you're reversing the majority of these things, it's not going to be a good practice for that issuer to keep filing those chargebacks and hammering you if you're reversing almost all of them. So they're going to push back on the consumer and your chargebacks are actually going to go down just by managing these things. So it's a it's a report that we run on Ben analysis over six to nine months. We see who your top 10 uh, chargebacks are coming from by Ben. And then we monitor that over a period of time. And you'll start seeing a reduction in chargebacks organically just by taking care of them. So wow. really, a response is very important because you're saying, hey, actually, nope, I don't care what you know they agreed on in the transaction, whether it was, hey, I'm going to put a pink bunny in your envelope and it's going to jump out, or or it doesn't matter what they're buying or what terms they agree to. This was a legitimate transaction. This was not fraud. So mm-hmm. once you respond back saying, hey, nope, I'm a legitimate merchant. The, the consumer agreed to this. You're going to start building that reputation of, I didn't make a mistake here. I didn't commit fraud. This was authorized. Like you need you need to at least, you know, present yourself as a legitimate company by responding to these. Oh, well, that, so the, that's an, an intro. You, you mentioned a couple of interesting things. I'm just going to take a, a couple of minutes to flesh out a couple of, of the points that you mentioned. So you said that there's reputations per merchant. So for example, are you saying that at the individual merchant level, issuers keep kind of records of, let's say, your merchant account number and how many chargebacks they have coming in? Or is it more at the um, mer- like merchant category level that they keep uh, records of? It's both. Um, so a, a transaction goes through a fraud filter, at a, maybe like an average of three times by the time it settles. So these issuers have all of this data as well, and they're working with that data. And if that team member has seen 20 you know, chargebacks this month from you and they're working the cases and they're filing chargebacks, you're gonna get that reputation just naturally. But also, um, yeah, these are metrics that these, that these companies monitor just like a merchant would monitor things. Um, and if they find that the best route to take and most least expensive route to take to you know, get resolution for the consumer as a chargeback, if you're not disputing, and they already think that you have committed 20 other fraud acts this month, then yeah, they're gonna file a chargeback rather than if they're having to review all of these and understand that, okay, this was legitimate. Okay, this was legitimate. Okay, this was legitimate. Then they're gonna start saying, hey, have you have you actually contacted the merchant? I see the phone number right here. Like, can you just resolve that with them? Or, nice. you know, is this, so it, 
it really, it takes a while. It's not a magic bullet, but we do see a reduction once you start managing your chargebacks correctly. Wow. That's so that's amazing. I mean, the thing that you, that, you know, everybody online merchants, you guys have to keep in mind is that, um, you know, this is a manual process. There's a human being that's actually filing that. So like you just said, this person is looking at it every day. If you become a regular on there, they will already be predisposed to say, oh, it's that, you know, merchant again. Yes. File the chargeback. If you start giving them a hard time, that person's like, you know what, if I do this, I'm going to have to deal with this guy, you know, sending me all these disputes back and, you know, so they'll try to push back. So that's, that's, that's gold. That is gold. Cause I think people don't realize they think it's computers and machines doing this. It's actually human beings. Mm-hmm. So the human being will see it over and over again. And you will have an impact if you keep, you know, quote unquote, annoying that person with the disputes back and saying, Hey, this was valid because of this and, or whatever. So even if it does still become a chargeback, at least, you know, the person will be looking at a lot of different data points instead of, Oh, that merchant again, boom, chargeback, right. right. Cause you're not doing anything. So, um, you know, disputing your chargebacks does affect your conversion rates as well. Um, like you said, it could, it could have an impact. I, I see it maybe, you know, not every merchant's like a huge merchant, but if you're, uh, you know, a merchant in uh, supplements, for example, in a merchant category code of supplements, um, you know, you are helping yourself and other supplements merchants if you are disputing back because you're giving your your industry a better rap. So, you know, collectively, if all merchants do this, it will have a huge impact than each individual merchant uh, for their, you know, their own uh, businesses. But do you find that, you know, uh, per merchant category code, uh, call it the MCC code for, for us industry people. Um, do you find that it, it has a huge impact? Like when you start seeing waves of chargebacks going up, like, do you have anecdotally or just kind of talking to merchants, uh, some information on their approval ratios having a, uh, an impact as well? Yeah, it, it really uh, impacts your approval. And that that is a great side effect of what we do is once you start managing your chargebacks, your acceptance goes up. And this is just an organic uh, benefit of handling your chargebacks. I don't, I don't have the percentage off the top of my head of what that improves. I know we have some case studies online that you can go look at. But yeah, in each sector, uh, your approval rate will go up if you're managing your chargebacks. Nice. Um, just for, for, for people who maybe don't have uh, enough chargeback activity or disputes and so forth to, to come to you guys, what are a couple of quick tips on, you know, filing that dispute? Like in order to, like, if somebody has, you know, an internal team member that could take care of it, what, what are the three main things that they should be included in that dispute? Um, so that's going to vary greatly on what, what type of dispute it is. But really, you should consider four things when when responding to a chargeback. You should consider the the card brand. So Visa has their own rules. Mastercard has their own rules that govern the the process of disputes. Right. So uh, they're going to look for certain information that you should you should be supplying on the transaction for whatever reason code it's for. So that's the second thing that you need to consider. It's the reason code. So that's going to dictate what evidence or supporting evidence that you should reply back with. You should also look at the the type of transaction. So a digital dispute is going to be completely different than a tangible dispute. So that is the third thing is transaction type. And then the fourth thing that we consider, and this is going to be pretty hard for a merchant doing this in-house, is the issuer that files that, that chargeback. So their teams are going to look for certain information that that you need to supply. So our machine learning 
um, in the background, we're constantly tweaking our representments and responses by those four things. So we compile the case completely different depending on all of that. We compile the case with certain information depending on that. And then, you know, we, we monitor what's most successful. So those four areas, card brand, transaction type, reason code, and issuer really make a difference as to what you should be supplying. And it will change depending on all of that. Yeah. So it's important. If somebody says they didn't receive your product versus fraud, that has a different impact, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get a lot of merchants who also ask me, how do I do this and so forth? Uh, and one of the biggest mistakes I see, and you can tell me if you disagree, but I'm thinking of it. And again, it is a, a person that's reading your dispute, right? That's reading why. So if you, for example, um, you know, send them like, sometimes I have merchants that send like a booklet of just like everything that's ever happened, like every, you know, the person going to get lost in that and be like, I, I don't even know what the hell this means. And guess what? You're losing that dispute. So I keep telling merchants, you know, keep it, you know, short and sweet, concise, but, you know, put that information. So, you know, it, like you touched upon it, it's, you know, sometimes if it's a fraud versus a product missing versus whatever, it can, you know, vary. So, you know, keep in mind that you're talking to a real person. You have to almost like defend yourself in a court of law, call it, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's tr accusing you of fraud, it's not like they're accusing you of never receiving your product. So, uh, because they ordered it. So you have to modify your response there. Uh, but yeah, you know, working with you guys and, and all the data that you gather definitely skips a couple of steps. But the only thing that I would say for at least our benefit, um, is, don't give like a package. Like people feel like if I put like 17 pages together about this chargeback, it's going to help. It actually will do the opposite. Cause yep. you know, every time I get like something that's over like two paragraphs, I'm like, no, thanks. And I just like <laughs> move on. And, and it's, it's a natural reaction for every human being. You just don't want to be inundated yep. have other things to do. So keep it short, sweet, and concise. Is there, is there a length that you would say, you know, let's say a, a typical online transaction for like a supplement or a physical product, would you say a page, two page? What do you keep do it you to? Yeah. Keep it to a few pages. I mean, it needs to be as transparent as possible and easy to understand and read your, your spot on there. I did a presentation once on chargeback university, which we hold every now and then we travel around the, the States and then hold these, um, these uh, workshops, but one of my slides had this lady, her hair is pulled out, she has stacks of paper behind them. And that's the reality. If you went to these issuers and their, their chargeback departments, it's insane. They're, it's just manual, it's paperwork. And you gotta remember, these are people just getting out of high school or college. They're making probably $12 an hour. They could care less about your case. They have 3000 to get through for today. So like, it needs to be as simple as possible to understand. So you're, you're spot on. That makes a massive difference. Nice. They don't want to see 20 pages of stuff that they have to sift through that's not relevant to what the rules are. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's, I think that's a, that's a good thing to, to end the, uh, the note on. So thank you so much, David. So guys, if you're disputing your chargebacks, uh, or if you need help with chargebacks, you know, David, uh, is a go-to guy and he works for chargebacks 911. So we're going to have some uh, resources at the bottom where you can reach out to David or his team to get more information and to really, um, kind of learn a little bit more about how to deal with your chargebacks. Uh, but you know, any final thoughts, David, anything that you want to, you, you left us on such a great final thought, but anything that you want to give in terms of advice or uh, how to reach out to you? Uh, yeah, you can reach me. Uh, I'll provide uh, information for you to put on the bottom of this podcast. But, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions like you're, you're a merchant, you're in business to get customers and make money. You're not in a business to, to handle chargebacks. This is 
an extremely complex process, both on the prevention side and the representment side. Just do yourself a favor, get it off your plate. And then, yeah, uh, call me if you just want to, to chat about chargebacks. I'm always happy to, to give you some general information and to see if you can help yourself or if you need to lean on some third-party providers. Yeah, perfect. And and you uh, once again, you said something interesting here. And just to kind of end there is uh, a lot of merchants see this as a cost, uh, just a cost and um, nothing else. But there's a lot of benefits. Like if you outsource this to somebody, then that takes it off your plate and you have one less thing to worry about in your business. So you can focus on more marketing and getting more sales. So thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. And guys go look in the show notes down below, uh, how you can reach out to David and his team. And thank you so much, David, for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.